You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. Garrett Ashley Mullet here, coming to you from Greeley, Colorado. This is episode 40 of season 3, episode 105 of the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. I am recording this on April 26, 2021. Today we're going to talk about taming the tongue and what a difficult process that is. And to give you just one little example, I will explain my hardship with trying to remove one simple word from my knee-jerk reaction, gut instinct, proclivity, bad habit, inclination. But first, I want to read for you a selection of James, the book of James in the New Testament, written by a half-brother of Jesus, has in chapter 3 an extended passage on taming the tongue, and it comes to mind often as I wrestle with the things that I say where I stick my foot in my mouth. Sometimes I say decent things. I say maybe some insightful things. Sometimes I say some insightful things, not I-N-S-I-G-H-T-F-U-L, but I-N-C-I-T-U-F-U-L things. But let's read James chapter 3, 1 through 12. And then we'll talk a little bit more about practical application and difficulties, my personal struggle with this. So from the top, James 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, We curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So, that is the passage that is on my mind this morning before I go off to work. And the practical explanation before we go through this passage in a little bit more detail 
is the word anyways. And it's a funny story because I've talked with Lauren about this quite a lot over the past few months of her listening to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. She'll listen to it while she's sewing or cleaning or cooking or something like that. She'll just have it on. It's by no means the only thing she listens to. She listens to a lot of things, a lot of books, a lot of poems, whatnot, for our children's homeschooling. But she listens to my podcast, and she helps me a great deal with giving me an objective, or at least more objective than my own opinion, on how is it going? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Is there an idea here that you have for how I can improve this, how I can make it better? Well, one of the big things that maybe sounds like a small thing is trying to eliminate the word anyways from the very tail end of each episode. I say anyways as I'm transitioning from the body of the topic to my closing remarks. I do that instinctively. I do it without thinking. It is difficult to stop doing it because it's muscle memory at this point. I don't know how it came to be muscle memory, but the effect, according to my wife and other people, is distracting. It is distracting, and I don't say according to my wife and other people because I don't believe them. I'll take their word for it that it's distracting. I say according to them because that was unbeknownst to me. I didn't realize that that was a distracting thing. I didn't know that about my communication until I got feedback from them. And I suspect there's a lot of other things like that, small things that nobody ever is told about that they do, some good and some not so good, some that are beneficial and some that are unproductive. And this just happens to be the one of the moment for me, but it opens up a whole bunch of connected wonderings, ponderings, quandaries, in that how many other things, how many other words am I slipping into everyday conversation, maybe not podcasting, but my interactions with other people to where I say them and don't realize that I've said them. And I don't realize that the person I'm talking with is going to find that distracting. Do I really have the rudder of my ship under control? Am I the pilot or is something else the pilot? Am I being influenced too heavily by the culture around me or the things I'm reading or the things I'm hearing or the things I'm seeing? Am I too easily swayed, too easily influenced? Am I not easily enough influenced? Have I become somewhat thick-skinned to the point of losing my sensation, losing my hearing is one of the consequences of shooting without ear protection too many times. My hearing is not as good as it once was, and it's progressively worse every time I decline to put on hearing protection before I go shooting, particularly if there's some close object that is going to reverberate the sound like a truck parked right next to me. I fire the gun, the sound of the shot bounces off the truck that's right next to me and into my ear canal and destroys those little cilia, which is cilia, uh, it's not so good that I get stubborn and I decide 
that my hearing is, um, you know, I can do without it. Who really needs hearing after all? And then my hearing is damaged irreversibly or in human terms, it's damaged irreversibly. I'll have to wear a, a hearing aid at some point, probably at this rate, at 35 almost, nearly, in November. I should have pretty good hearing. But uh, because I've made some poor choices in that regard, I've become somewhat deaf or more deaf than I used to be, more deaf than I needed to be. And how much else is like that? You know, from an emotional standpoint, from a relational standpoint, from a spiritual standpoint, how much else is like that to where I miss cues from people because I'm so determined to charge in and do what I will. And it causes a a big boom. And all of a sudden, I'm that much less sensitive the next time around. Sometimes that's good, maybe. Or there are benefits, there's an upside, but on the whole, it does leave me somewhat vulnerable maybe, and I miss out on certain subtle things. Now, sometimes you can clean up the noise and you can set up a debounce or uh, something like that to where it's just going to clip out things that are are too quiet. They might as well be silenced because they're so quiet, and then that helps you to focus in on the things that are maybe the most Uh, consequential and it helps you to narrow your focus but I don't want to become numb and I don't want to become hardened in my heart towards things that I should be sensitive to and I don't want to be instinctive in my communication to the point that I'm instinctively uh, carrying on in bad habits you know think about conversation I had with Joey Taylor at church yesterday after the service in which we just started talking about uh, being in too much of a hurry and trying to slow down and trying to slow down in our interactions with our families in particular. And it's funny, at work you really can't afford to. I mean, not if you want to be successful and happy and, and productive long term. You can't afford to just pop off at the mouth and say whatever pops into your head. Some people do, and uh, that is not the better part of wisdom that they do. But if you want to be successful in your career long-term and you want to have good relationships with the people that you work with long-term, you can't just say whatever pops into your head, regardless of the way that it's going to be received. You have to think about this. And I'm not talking about cancel culture. I'm not talking about political correctness. Those are this truth carried to an extreme and an unhealthy extent and with a unrighteous standard of judgment being applied as the rubric. But there is a good concept, even though it's not being applied as it should be with cancel culture and political correctness, in that it is good to be correct, right? There is such a thing as correctness, even though political correctness along the lines that it is in our day, is not correct. There is such a thing as being correct and incorrect. There is such a thing as being polite and impolite. There is such a thing as being rude, uh, needlessly, needlessly offensive. And so what I don't want is I don't want in my aversion to political correctness to stop being polite. What I don't want in my aversion to political correctness is for me to stop being correct 
or believing that there is such a thing as correctness. I don't want to get it twisted and get it muddy. I want to have a clear idea of what is and is not correct. By God's grace, I'm not saved by my works, but I want my works to be such that they honor God and they love those around me. I want my speech to be in accordance to the truth. So you look at this passage from James, and he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. We'll start off right there in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers. What's he addressing here? Is it a tendency for everybody to want to teach? Everybody wants that honor, even though they really shouldn't all receive that honor? Is this somewhat of a similar mentality to the disciples who come to Jesus after arguing about which of them is the greatest or which of them is his favorite? Is this a similar problem, a similar temptation that everybody wants to teach, but not everybody really is qualified to teach? Is that what this is being uh, an allusion to? I think so. I, I That's my uh, expectation is that when James wrote this, he had in view people that were ambitious and they wanted a reputation for being a teacher. And maybe they even thought that they knew more than whoever it was that was teaching and they didn't necessarily. They didn't necessarily want to teach what was in accordance with sound doctrine. And I mean that not just with their words, but also with their conduct. They didn't really believe these things in a sound, firm, reliable way, the way that you need to. If you're a teacher, you need to set an example. You need to be exemplary for those that are listening to what it is that you're saying. You move on to verse 2. It says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. But of course, this is a rhetorical device. This is not him saying any of us are perfect in what we say. None of us are a perfect man. Jesus is perfect and will be made like him in the end. But in the meantime, we do stumble in what we say. We know that if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. But we also know that nobody is able, short of the grace of God, perfecting us to keep his tongue perfectly in check. And so there's a spectrum of sorts. Some of us are better able at controlling what we say than others. And those of us who are not very good at controlling what we say probably should not be teaching because we're going to say something we're going to slip it in with what is good, and it will be all the worse for those who believe it uncritically, along with what it is that was good in what we said. He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they will obey us, we guide our whole bodies as well. And that's a funny thing, because using the example of anyways for myself, as I really wrestle with that one little word and realize how difficult it is to stop saying that one little word because it's an instinct, because it's a habit, because it's without thinking. And I have to all of a sudden analyze why am I saying that? If I'm going to try and stop it, I've got to figure out why I'm doing it and what I should be doing instead. What is the assumption there when I say anyways? What is it that I think I'm communicating 
what is it that's in my heart? Because the scriptures say, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what is it that is in my heart that is coming out when I open my mouth and when I speak? My wife says that when I say anyways, as I'm transitioning from one topic to another, it serves to imply to the listener that I'm dismissing everything that I just said. I'm brushing it off, almost like never mind. Anyways, it's like when somebody comes up and you're in the middle of a conversation and they interrupt rudely and you say after they finish talking as a way of letting them know that they just rudely interrupted your conversation and you're busy and you're trying to get back to what it is you were saying anyways, anyways, and she's right. And if I really think about it, it could be that anyways is easy to reach for because I'm insecure. I'm insecure that what I'm talking about on this podcast very often is a distraction. It's a distraction from what is important that maybe I don't know what's important. Maybe I'm getting lost in the weeds here a little bit. I'm finding something useful in the weeds from time to time, but I have this self-consciousness that as I am talking about these things to you, I've lost you in the weeds, and you maybe didn't find that useful thing that I found. And somebody else might be quicker to cut to the chase and explain this in a succinct way. But maybe I've lost my audience and they don't feel like this is a value to their lives in a practical, applicable way. Maybe there's an insecurity on my part to where once I realize I'm lost in the weeds or I think maybe I'm lost in the weeds or I feel like my listeners are going to think I'm lost in the weeds. I'm talking about nothing. That's my alarm, by the way. My alarm at 6.15, which says that it's about time to throw on some work clothes, start up the truck, head for the plant. Once I realize that it's time for me to wrap it up and let you get back to life, and I need to get back to life, I need to throw on work clothes and jump in the truck and go to work, I say anyways as a way of dismissing what I said, maybe, possibly, of tamping it down, of pushing it back to the hole that it crept out of or back into the bushes from which it snuck out. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe I need to change my attitude. Or if there's any truth in that insecurity, I need to address it. I need to confront that head on instead of just continually accepting that I feel insecure about this. Now, that's part of what this whole audio endeavor is about, this whole podcasting thing is about. And that's what I told Joey yesterday, is that the podcasting thing really, truly started as an effort to get better at communicating. I had been writing for years, and it's easier to control your messaging, and it's easier to control, at least in my opinion it is, easier to control your image in writing because there's no stream of consciousness, there's no us and ums, there's no stumbling over your words. 
You make a typo and you can see it in real time and you can correct it before anybody is the wiser who's going to read the finished work. It's a little more challenging, a little more time consuming, a little more difficult in recording an audiobook. But then again, you're recording a podcast and you say those things and maybe you get a clear picture of what your real life face-to-face conversations are like. Maybe in the course of me recording this podcast, I understand better what it is that my wife and kids are hearing, what it is that my extended family and my friends and my coworkers and just random acquaintances are hearing. Maybe I understand better the impression that I'm making for good or for ill. And as I understand it better, I can be a little bit more the pilot steering my ship, not perfectly, but better, more perfectly. He goes on, James does, he says it's a small member, the tongue, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. That seems like hyperbole, but then it's really not. You can get yourself into all sorts of trouble by saying things that are needlessly offensive, saying things that are not true saying things that are rude, saying things that are disrespectful, putting someone else down, mocking them, making fun of them. You can create enemies with what you say. You can alienate friends with what you say. You can do a lot of good, or you can set up expectations that are too lofty, and then all of a sudden, you say this one thing, and it completely derails the whole operation. It would maybe be better to not speak at all, better to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt, or, as it says in another proverb, even a fool is thought wise, is esteemed wise when he keeps silent. So then, sometimes, ironically, I record these podcasts and I listen back and I think about how difficult it is to control my messaging And my attitude, moreover, because the messaging is downstream of the attitude. How difficult is it to control what comes out of my mouth and my attitude? And maybe I should just talk less because it's exhausting. Well, you know what? That might not be such a bad idea. That might not be the wrong conclusion. Or maybe I should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry, as it says elsewhere in James quick to listen. Do you know how much less stressful it is when I resolve in a group setting with my family, with my kids, with my wife to have a default listening posture? It's much less stressful. Now, sometimes I don't like to hear the things that I'm hearing. And I think that's half the reason why I'm not as good at listening as I am at speaking sometimes. Sometimes I rush to speak because I'm afraid of what the other person might say. I'm afraid of what I might hear and suddenly feel responsible for or feel unprepared to respond to. Sometimes I think we cut people off because we're afraid of the implications of what they might say, what we suspect they'll say. We don't want to know more because we'll be accountable for that much more that we know. And so we resolve to be know-nothings, to know nothing 
therefore to be responsible for nothing. If I don't know about it, it doesn't exist. It's like when your kids come to you and they say, we dropped something and it broke. Mm, there's a first inclination sometimes in me to say, I don't want to know about it. Uh, I don't want to hear it. No. But of course you have to because not hearing about it doesn't mean that those shards of broken plate on the kitchen floor are not going to cut somebody. It's like when I was a wee lad before my younger brother Bryce was born. I was laid down for a nap and my mother had a friend of hers, some gal in town, over for coffee. And I was going to sneak by my mother and her friend on my way to the basement to watch TV and play with my Legos. Or so I thought... I was walking down the stairs and I was going to make my way to the basement past my mother with my eyes closed because I was just sure that if I had my eyes closed, she wouldn't be able to see me. And I learned the hard way that not only does that not work for making you invisible, it also makes it hard for you to navigate the stairs safely. And I fell down the stairs because my eyes were closed. I wasn't watching where I was going. And then... Boy, howdy, did my mother know that I was out of bed and I was not napping as I was supposed to. But so also with us not listening, when we don't want to listen to what it is that is going on, we don't want to listen to our spouse, our children, our friends, our family, our coworkers. We don't want to listen. It might be because we feel overwhelmed. It might be because we're avoiding our responsibility. We're avoiding that weight because we don't want to suffer. We don't want to expend ourselves for the sake of others. We're selfish, really, is what it comes down to. It might surprise listeners to hear me say that I started this podcast out to get better at communicating. There's a, a worry that I have. I'll get so fixated on getting better at speaking and what am I doing to practice listening? Well, one of the things I'm doing, obviously, with my last episode made clear, is I'm listening to a lot of audiobooks. But of course, that's a bit different than listening to another live living person to which you have some responsibility. I don't have a responsibility to C.S. Lewis when I listen to that hideous strength. I can play him and pause him anytime I please. Can't do that with my wife and kids so much. Can't do that with my friends extended family so much. I can't do that with my coworkers so much. So then what am I left with? I'm left with a realization that I need, I need to get better at listening. That's part of what I'm doing as I record each podcast. I go back after it's published and I listen to it. And then as soon as somebody tells me that they have listened to my podcast, I go back and I listen again. And I listen trying to think of how they are hearing what I recorded. How did this strike them based on what I know of them? And even if they just give me a couple of sentences worth of feedback, what they liked, what they didn't like, what they thought was interesting, what they maybe disagreed with, but they're afraid to say. As I do that, I hear different things emphasized that maybe in their minds are emphasized. And this can go too far. 
And that's why I say sometimes it's so exhausting that the conclusion I come to is maybe it would be better to just speak less. Speak less, and then there are fewer idle words that I will be called to account for in the end. No human being can tame the tongue, as James says. Every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Isn't that true? You know, my mother and my grandmother, both, my mother and my mother's mother, both had sharp tongues. And they had a excellent vocabulary, excellent command of the English language, very smart, very intelligent, very insightful, and also sometimes very insightful in the other way. Very quick-witted, but also sometimes too quick to say something really hurtful. And I don't know where that comes from. I don't know if that comes from the Scotch-Irish influence and heritage. The Scotch-Irish have a reputation for being quick to speak and quick to become angry, maybe not so quick to listen. Very smart people, very educated people. Check out How the Scots Invented the Modern World. It's a great book. Also, there's a book by former U.S. Senator Jim Webb, trying to remember the name of it, Fighting, Born Fighting, that's what it was. Born Fighting, that's another really, really interesting one. Uh, Democrat, ran for president. He was the only one on stage when he ran in 2008, 2012, maybe both. He was the only one on the stage that talked a lick of sense, kind of like a Tulsi Gabbard in the previous election cycles. But the Scots-Irish had a reputation for being fiery, for being quick to fight if they thought their honor had been impugned quick to throw a barbed comment to let the other person know, don't tread on me. They made up a great deal of the revolutionary impetus that brought the United States of America into being 250 years ago, almost. And my ancestors were among those. They were here. They were here and they were part of this nation's creation, fighting the English, letting the stuffy English who look down their noses know that we are not to be trifled with. But within the family, within friendships, within a community, a sharp tongue sometimes can stir up anger unnecessarily. And sometimes if that's not controlled, it's not checked, it's not curbed somehow, it can cause trouble. And yet, what is it that James says? He says that no human being can tame the tongue. Well, it's a good thing we've got God on our side then, isn't it? It's a good thing that one of the fruit listed, one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. So my endeavor, my prayer, and you can pray for me in this regard, is to, by God's grace, with God's help, get better at communicating, at speaking the truth in love, giving a reason for the hope that lies within me with gentleness and respect. I want to say what is true, and I don't want to affirm things that are untrue or unhealthy or disrespectful. 
either disrespectful towards myself or other people. But I also don't want to give offense. Love is not easily offended, but it's also not rude. And I don't want to be rude any more than I want to be easily offended. So tell me how I'm doing, privately maybe. Remind me of this podcast. I will have to maybe bite my tongue a little bit, think about it a little bit, take a deep breath a little bit, take a step back, do an inventory. Bear with me. It's not easy. One thing about having a good, strong, robust gas pedal is that it takes a little more to get the brakes to work sometimes, to slow it down, to stop. But in any event, with all that said, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com.